Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Mr Jerry Sutcliffe. Number one, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Before listing my engagements, I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in paying tribute to Police Constable Ian Dybell of Essex Police, who was shot and killed in Clacton-on-Sea on Monday. Even though Ian was off duty at the time, he acted selflessly when he saw members of the public at risk. This is typical of the behaviour of our brave police force. His death is a reminder of the great debt we owe everyone in our police force. We send our deepest sympathies to his families, his friends and his colleagues at this tragic time. This morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Mr Jerry Sutcliffe. Speaker, can I associate myself and the whole House to the remarks that the Prime Minister has made to the brave police officer who lost his life, and we send condolences to his family. Can the Prime Minister explain why he's making it easier for uh, the corporate law to be amended by secondary legislation, sorry, uh, copyright law to be amended by secondary legislation, affecting our creative industries? And has this got anything to do with the 23 meetings that he's had and his ministers have had with Google? What we are doing is following the recommendations of the Hargreaves report that we commissioned. It is important that we update and upgrade copyright law in our country, and that is exactly what we propose to do. Mr Greg Mulholland. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, A report into the York Hill uh, Child Heart Unit in Glasgow um, conducted by Sir Ian Kennedy, says the provision of paediatric intensive care may be unsafe if critical staffing problems are not addressed. The safe and sustainable review conducted by Sir Ian Kennedy um, is now suggesting that Leeds Heart Unit, which is safe, be closed, while Glasgow, that isn't, is not affected. It's absurd. This uh, review needs to be thrown out. Can I say to my honourable friend, he he quite rightly speaks up for his local hospital that is an excellent hospital. Uh, My local hospital has also not been selected under the Safe and Sustainable Review. But I would say, uh, as Prime Minister but also as a parent, that we have to recognise the operations that are now being carried out on children in terms of heart operations are incredibly complex. And in the end, this review was led by clinicians and it is about trying to save lives to make sure that we specialise the most difficult work in a number of hospitals around the country. It does lead to difficult decisions, but I'm sure that what really matters is that more parents don't suffer the agony of losing their children uh, because we don't have the very highest standards of care in the hospitals that are chosen. Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, can I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to PC Ian Dybell? He demonstrated extraordinary bravery while being off duty. His selfless act and his tragic death remind us what the police do for us right up and down this country. And I'm sure the condolences of the whole House go to his family and friends. Mr Speaker, at this last question time before the recess, can I remind the Prime Minister of what he said before the election when he was asked why he wanted to be Prime Minister? He paused, and with characteristic humility, he said, said, because I think I'd be good at it. Mr Speaker, where did it all go wrong? It is this government that has capped benefits, that's capped immigration, that's taken two million people out of tax, that's cut taxes for 25 million people, that's cut the fuel duty, increased spending on the NHS and cut the deficit by 25% in two years.
about the list of all the things he got wrong. We haven't got time. Mr Speaker, they're obviously well whipped today. It's a shame it didn't happen last night. Now, Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, last night he lost control of his party, and not for the first time, and not for the first time, he lost his temper as well. Because, because we understand, we understand, it was fisticuffs in the lobby with the member for Hereford and South Hertfordshire. I noticed, by the way, that the posh boys have ordered him off the estate today, but he's not. He doesn't seem to be here. Who does the prime minister? Who does the prime minister blame most? For the disarray in his government, the Liberal Democrats or his own backbenchers? Oh if, if the best he can do today is a bunch of tittle tattle and rumour, how utterly pathetic! On the day we're introducing social care reform that's going to help people up and down our country, and we get this sort of half baked, half baked gossip. Let me say this to them about House of Lords reform. If we want to see House of Lords reform, all of those who support House of Lords reform need to not only vote for House of Lords reform, but support the means to bring that reform about. He came to the House of Commons yesterday determined to vote yes and then vote no. How utterly pathetic. Speaker, it's the same old story with the Prime Minister. He blames everybody other than himself. The government's a shambles, and he blames the leader of the opposition. That, that is what it has come to. But, Mr Speaker, his problems didn't start last night. They started months ago with the part-time Chancellor's budget. Because they make the wrong choices, and they stand up for the wrong people. So can he remind us, after all the budget U-turns, why he still thinks it's right to give a banker earning a million pounds a £40,000 income tax cut next April. It was the Chancellor's budget that cut taxes for 25 million working people. That took 2 million people altogether out of tax and has left us with a top rate of tax which was higher than any of the times he or his neighbour were in the Treasury literally wrecking the British economy. No answer on his millionaire's tax cut, and we're going to keep asking the question between now and next April. Because he's, he's got no answer. He's raising taxes on ordinary families. He's raising taxes on pensioners, and he's cutting taxes on millionaires. They say, they say that they say they're not raising taxes. Can he therefore explain what has not been explained? He, he says weak, by the way. What could be weaker than having 91 people vote against you? explain what has not been explained since the budget. Why is it fair when you're cutting taxes for millionaires to ask pensioners to pay more? Prime Minister. What we did in that budget was increase pensioners' weekly income by £5.30, the biggest increase in the pension in the pension's history. But let me repeat, what the budget did was cut taxes for every working person in the country, take two million people out of tax. The top rate of tax change was paid more than four times over by the richest people in our country. And that compares with what we were left by the party opposite. The biggest bust, the most indebted households, the biggest budget deficit in Europe, and never once an apology for the mess they left this country in.
Mr Speaker, no answer on the disarray in his government, no answer on the tax cuts for millionaires, no answer on the tax rise for pensioners. Perhaps he has an answer on the biggest issue of all. In his New Year message, he said this, we've got to do more to bring the economy back to health. And what has he delivered since then? A double-dip recession made in Downing Street. Isn't the reality the biggest failure facing this government is not the programme motion on Lord's reform, it's their whole economic plan? It's under this government we've got 800,000 more private sector jobs. Inflation is down. Unemployment is down. Interest rates are at a record low. We are now a net exporter of cars at the first time since 1976. We've completed the biggest construction project in Europe, which is the Olympics. We've started the next biggest project, which is Crossrail. It's this government that's set up the enterprise zones, that has backed the apprenticeships, that is seeing business actually re rebalance in this country. And we will never forget what we were left by the party opposite. Eurozone countries with taxpayers' money. They were paying £100,000 for just one family's housing benefit. They had uncontrolled welfare, uncontrolled immigration, uncontrolled government spending. Never has so much been borrowed, never has so much been wasted, never have so many people been let down. And this country will never forgive them for what they did. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker. Mr Speaker, the redder, the redder he gets, the less he convinces people. And it's, and it's, and it's the... Order! 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 Members on order! Members on both sides of the House now need to calm down. That's all there is to it. Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, and it's the same lecture we've had on the economy for the last two years, and things are getting worse, not better. And every time he gets up with that list of statistics, he just shows how out of touch he is. Tax cuts for millionaires. Double-dip recession. U-turn after U-turn after U-turn isn't the truth. He didn't just lose the confidence of his party last night, he's losing the confidence of the country. There's only one person who's red round, and that is Red Ed running the Labour Party. Who, who backed... Who, who backed... Who backed Red Ken Livingstone? They did. Who backed Red Len McCluskey? He did. Who opposed every measure to deal with the deficit? Who proposed £30 billion of more spending? Who's given the unions even more say? I apologise. Order. I said it a moment ago. The Prime Minister's answers must, and however long it takes, they will be heard. The Prime Minister. Who, let's take what he's done in the last year. Opposed an immigration cap, opposed a welfare cap, opposed a housing benefit cap, opposed every single measure to cut the deficit. We know what he's against, but when on earth are we going to find out what he's for? Anne-Marie Morris. Thank you, Mr Speaker. This government has a great record on educational reform.
to see the um, honourable lady on such feisty form. She's absolutely right to speak up for university technical colleges. I think these are a great addition to the schools that we have in our country. They really are a really high profile way to have proper vocational education so we can give young people the skills they need to have a great career in the future. Theresa Pierce. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. On Monday, the 25th of June, the Health Secretary announced a possible administration of the NHS Trust that covers Bexley, Bromley and Greenwich. And that night, he met with the members for Bexley and Bromley. Despite the Greenwich members asking for such a meeting, at this moment in time there is no date in the diary and no date forthcoming. Can the Prime Minister explain to me why the, why the residents of Greenwich are not given the same respect by his minister as the residents of Bexley and Bromley? I think the Honourable Lady raises an important point. It's a very difficult situation that has taken place at this uh, NHS Trust. I think it's quite right that the Health Secretary is using the powers that were put in place by the last Government to deal with these issues. It's partly because of the PFI contracts that are completely unsustainable. I will take very seriously what she says and see if I can arrange a meeting between her and one of the Health Ministers to discuss this important issue. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In my constituency of North West Leicestershire, the average pre-tax income is just under £25,000 a year. Does my right honourable friend share my sense of incredulity that the party opposite still oppose a benefits cap of £26,000 a year after tax? And doesn't this demonstrate who's really on the side of hard-working families trying to do the right thing? I think my honourable friend makes an important point. They came to the House of Commons and said they were going to back a welfare cap, but when it came to the crunch, they opposed a welfare cap. And he's absolutely right. It shows who is on the side of those who work hard, who want to do the best for their families and for their country and for their community, and who thinks that actually you should be better off on benefits. We back the workers, they back the shirkers. The 2nd Battalion, the Royal Regiment of Fusiliers, is to be uh, disbanded. This means that 600 soldiers are facing redundancy. This is a battalion and a regiment with a proud history of service uh, to this country. Will the Prime Minister not reconsider uh, the cut to this battalion? What I'd say to the Honourable Gentleman, we looked at this issue incredibly carefully and took our time, which many times we were criticised for doing that, to make sure that we got this right. I do think that the decision to have a smaller regular army at 80,000, but a much larger reserve force, territorial army, at over 30,000, I think that is the right balance. The Government is putting £1.5 billion into building up those reserves, and I hope that members right across the House will help with the process of encouraging employers to allow territorial army reserves service to serve their country. I think it is the right decision. We've made sure that no existing regimental names or cap badges will be lost, so I think it's the right package for the future force of our country. Richard Graham. On Sunday, independent observers hailed the first free elections in Libya for 47 years as broadly free and transparent and offering real hope for the future. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that we should congratulate the Libyan people on the progress made since their successful struggle to overthrow a brutal 40-year-old dictatorship and the message that this also sends to others, including Aung San Suu Kyi, who yearn for democracy in their countries? 
Speaker, I think my honourable friend speaks for, I'm sure, the whole House and indeed the whole country in wanting to send our congratulations to the Libyan people for what looked like a successful set of elections. It is worth remembering that it was a year ago that things did not look as if everything was going to turn out well in Libya, but I'm proud of the fact that the NATO alliance and this country actually stayed true to the course and helped to secure the right outcome in Libya, and those people now have the chance of successful democracy and prosperity that is denied to far too many in our world. Ms. Karen Buck. Mr. Speaker, uh, the London, North West London NHS is currently com- uh, consulting on the closure of four out of nine accident and emergency units. The medical director has said that North West London would literally run out of money if these closures don't go ahead. Can I ask the Prime Minister what kind of consultation is it that poses a choice between the closure of half of the accident emergency units in North West London and the potential bankrupting of the local NHS? Minister. Well, well, first of all, I'd say to the Honourable Lady, on the issue of money, we have put £12.5 billion extra into the NHS. That is a decision that her party opposes and says that extra spending for the NHS is, and I quote, irresponsible. We will make sure that all consult- consultations are properly carried out, local people and local clinicians and GPs are listened to. We want to make sure we have good access to accidents and emergency units for all our people. Sir Alan Hazelhurst. Has my right honourable friend's attention been drawn to BAA's advertisement uh, that the regular train service to Stansted Airport (laughs) takes 47 minutes, which is not universally correct across the timetable, and in any case is too long. Will he commit to a major upgrade of the West Anglia line so that airport passengers can get the the truly fast service they need and my constituents who regularly commute the one they deserve? Prime Minister, I I quite understand why my honourable friend wants to speak up uh, for people in his constituency who want a better train service. What I can say to him is, as part of the new rail franchise in East Anglia, which will be let in the summer of 2014, we will be asking bidders to propose affordable investment aimed at improving services. And I'm sure they'll listen very carefully to what he said today. Jim Dobbin. The government rightly donates millions in overseas aid uh, to developing countries, including India, to eradicate poverty and disease. Despite this, the Canadian government, including the government of Quebec, are to invest $58 million in an asbestos-producing mine, not for use in Canada, of course, but to export to developing countries, including India, which will put thousands of poor people at risk from the deadly asbestosis and mesothelioma. Will the Prime Minister and the International Development Secretary encourage international communities, including the World Health Organization, to oppose this quite outrageous decision. Well, I'll be seeing the head of the World Health Organization later today, so I can raise this issue with them. As he knows, asbestos is banned in the UK, in the EU, and in a number of other countries. We're totally opposed to its use anywhere, and would deplore its supply to developing countries. DFID does not provide funding to projects that encourage developing countries to import asbestos from any country or for any purpose. Now, we're not aware that DFID funds have been used in that way at all. I would take urgent action were that the case, but I think he makes a very strong point about the Indian situation. Mr David Davis. On the 4th of September, the European Court of Human Rights is hearing the case of Miss Nadia Aweda, the lady who lost her job at uh, British uh, Airways for wearing a crucifix as a mark of her Christianity. The behaviour of British Airways in this was a disgraceful piece of political correctness. So I was surprised to see the government is resisting Miss Aweda's appeal. 
what, I cannot believe that the government is supporting the suppression of religious freedom in the workplace. So what are we going to do about this sad case? But for once I can say, and I wholeheartedly agree with my uh, right honourable friend, uh, I fully support the right of people to wear religious symbols at work. I think it is absolutely a vital religious freedom. What we will do is, if it turns out that the law has the intention, as has come out in this case, then we will change the law and make clear that people can wear religious emblems at work. Does the Prime Minister accept the findings of the Independent Action for Children report, which shows that by 2015, the most vulnerable families with children in this country, including those in employment, will lose up to £3,000 a year because of this government's policies, at a time when millionaires are getting tax cuts of over £40,000 a year? Can he stand at the dispatch box and say, we really are all in this together? I know that the report that he quotes doesn't actually include some of the steps that we have taken, for instance, providing more nursery education for disadvantaged two-year-olds. But above all, what I would say, if he looks at universal credit and the design of universal credit, we're actually going to be helping uh, parents with the most disabled children to make sure they get the help they need. Mr Martin Horwood. Will the Prime Minister comment on the worrying standoff between the Egyptian military, who are clearly trying to cling on to power in defiance of the Arab Spring, and Mr Mohamed Mursi, who may not be a Liberal or a Conservative, but is undoubtedly the democratically elected President of Egypt. I think my honourable friend makes an important point. I've been very struck by what uh, the the President-elect has said about how he wants to govern on behalf of everyone in Egypt, how he wants to respect uh, religious and other freedoms, and I very much hope that the, the current tension can be resolved. But I think people have to respect the democratic will of the Egyptian people as they expressed it. Lillian Greenwood. The Prime Minister promised that pensioners' bus passes were safe. Will he today reject calls from the Liberal Democrats and now from his close ally, the Honourable Member for Grantham and Stamford, and categorically rule out means testing of bus passes, including in his manifesto for the next general election? As the Honourable Lady will know, at the last election I made a very clear promise about bus passes, about television licences, about winter fuel payments. We are keeping all those promises. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, As Melinda Gates has recently said, women in developing countries want to raise healthy and educated children who can contribute to building prosperous communities. Would my right honourable friend agree that one of the ways we can support this aspiration is to help those who wish to plan their family to do so? I I think the honourable lady is absolutely right. Uh, And uh, later today, I'll be speaking at at a a seminar event with Melinda Gates and a whole range of leaders from across uh, Africa and other parts of the developing world about exactly this issue. We should be doing more to allow um, mothers access to birth control so they can plan their family size. All the evidence shows that as countries develop, family size does reduce and populations become more sustainable. But we should help people plan that process. It's not about telling people what to do. It's about allowing people the choice that in this country we take for granted. Margaret Ritchie. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Members will know that St Patrick, a Roman Briton, respected by all traditions in Ireland, is a unifying figure. He established his mission in my constituency of South Down, where today many people of all faiths, drawing on his legacy, work unstintedly to build peace across the divide. Will the Prime Minister, when next in Northern Ireland, perhaps during the Olympics, (coughs) 
come to St Patrick's country and the Mourns, meet with these people and witness St Patrick's unique heritage for himself and where he won't find any rebel Tories. <laughs> well, I, I, uh, I don't know whether the Honourable Lady can, um, can guarantee that. We do have an active branch in Northern Ireland and I'm sure... Um, uh, but it's an intriguing and uh, very kind invitation. I hope that the Olympics will bring the whole of our United Kingdom together. I think the torch relay has already helped to uh, achieve that, and I was very privileged to see it in my own constituency. I know it was a very successful tour around Northern Ireland. She makes an intriguing invitation, and if I can take it up, I will. Simon Hart. Mr Speaker, one of the um, success stories of this government is in its commitment to rural community, uh, communities and farming in particular. Uh, today, nearly 2,000 dairy farmers are meeting in Westminster to fight drastic reductions in their milk prices at the hands of processors and supermarkets. Will the Prime Minister join them in their fight to get a fair deal for their product? I think my honourable friend is absolutely right to speak up. Uh, for, for, for British farmers, and he does an extremely good job in doing that. This government is investing in our countryside, not least with the rural broadband programme, but we do want to see a fairer deal between farmers and supermarkets, and that's why we're going to be legislating for the adjudicator that I know that he supports. And I can also tell him that today we're announcing £5 million extra in additional funds under the Rural Economy Grant Scheme, and that can help to make our dairy industry, which we should be very proud of in this country, more competitive. Paul Blomfield. Thank you, Mr Speaker. What will the Prime Minister say to the 150,000 adults that the government itself estimates will be denied a second chance for education as a result of their plans to charge full-cost fees to over 24-year-olds studying A-level and equivalent programmes and access courses? Prime Minister. Well, there will be a full statement uh, about this issue this week, but I think it is important that we expand the, higher, the further education opportunities in our country, and if we're going to expand those opportunities, we need to be clear about how we're going to pay for them. And that is what we repeatedly get from the party opposite, a complaint about this policy or that policy, but absolutely no idea how they would pay for any of their policies. Adam Afria. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. The government has certainly achieved a great deal in the last two years. Um, given, given, given that new issues are emerging as we enter the third year of coalition, does the Prime Minister agree with me that now would be a good time for the political parties to review the coalition agreement for the future? absolutely agree that in a coalition you need to keep working out the next set of things that you want to achieve. This, part, this, this, this coalition has achieved cuts to corporation tax, taking people out of income tax, a massive expansion in terms of um, trust schools, a huge contribution to our health service that is now performing better than at any time in the last decade. And I'm committed to making sure we now look at all the next steps we want to take to make our country a better place to Nick Smith. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. A grandfather from Blaine Gwent fears the dole for his grandson returning from Afghanistan. 20,000 soldiers face losing their jobs. Labour has persuaded big firms like John Lewis to guarantee veterans a job interview. Will the Prime Minister get the public sector to do the same? 
Prime Minister. Well, I absolutely welcome what the Honourable Gentleman says. I think we should do everything we can to work with employers, whether in the public sector or the private sector, to help find uh, ex-service personnel jobs. Uh, they're people who've been trained brilliantly, who've contributed incredible things to our country, and uh, I'm sure we can do much more to help them find jobs. In, for instance, in the public sector, my right honourable friend, the Education Secretary, has a programme of troops to teachers to try and get people who've served our country to inspire future generations, and I think it's an excellent scheme. Sir Bob Russell, on the Prime Minister's watch, the army will reduce to its smallest size since 1750 and half the size it was at the time of the Falklands War. Does he accept that history is not kind to Prime Ministers who are perceived to have left our country without a strong defence capability? Prime Minister. I, I absolutely know, with Colchester Garrison in his constituency, he speaks with great uh, power. Um, he speaks with great power about military issues. What I would say to him is, if you look at the overall balance of what we're doing, 80,000 regular soldiers, 30,000 TA fully funded, will actually mean the army is a similar size after these reforms to what it was before. But much the most important thing is we inherited a £38 billion deficit in our defence budget. We have closed that deficit, is now fully funded. We have some huge investments going ahead for our army, our navy and our air force, and this country, under this coalition government, will always be well defended. Emily Thornbury. Could the Prime Minister assist the House and tell us when the Chancellor of the Exchequer is going to take the advice of the member for South Northamptonshire, admit that he made false allegations last week and finally apologise? If we look at what my right hon. friend, the Chancellor, actually said, he said that the Shadow Chancellor had some questions to answer. Now, I, I, I'm not sure sure there's anyone in this House who doesn't think the Shadow Chancellor has some questions to answer. And I think perhaps before we break for the summer, we should remember what a few of those questions are. Who designed the regulatory system that failed? Who was City Minister when Northern Rock was selling 110% mortgages? Who advised the Chancellor and the Prime Minister that there was no more boom and bust? Who helped create the biggest boom, the biggest bust, and who's never apologised for the dreadful record he had in office? Daniel Kaczynski. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Yeah, Speaker. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Shrewsbury remains the only county town in England without a direct rail service to our capital city. When the new rail franchises are apportioned in August, will the Prime Minister use? his good office to ensure that the government does everything possible to ensure that Shrewsbury is connected to our capital city. Well, my honourable friend always speaks up for, for Shrewsbury. He's absolutely right that when these, franchises, when these franchises are looked at, there are opportunities to make the case for more investment and for more services, and I'm sure the rail operators and others will listen very closely to what he said today. Helen Goodman. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My constituent is recovering from cancer, but she has had her ESA stopped after 365 days. The Government's consultation on changing this rule ended in March. 
When are we going to see justice for the 7,000 cancer patients in this situation? I've looked carefully at this case and I know that she has now had a response from the Minister about this issue. As she knows, there are two types of ESA, one where there is permanent support and it's not means-tested, and another where there is means-testing after a year. What we're doing is actually making sure that more people with cancer are getting more help and more treatment, and I think that is very important. And I think it's absolutely right there are the two forms of employment and support allowance, so those people who can't work, who genuinely can't work or prepare for work, get supported throughout their lives. Order.